Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining us again on the PCICS podcast, the go-to podcast for pediatric cardiac critical care. My name is David Warho, and I'm a pediatric cardiac intensivist at Rady Children's Hospital in San Diego. I'm joined by my co-host, Deanna Zanatos, a pediatric cardiac intensivist at Norton Children's Hospital, University of Louisville. And today, we have the honor of speaking with our guests, Dr. Anthony Chang and Dr. Jeffrey Jacobs, two of the founding members of PCICS, about the impetus behind the formation of the society, how the society has changed over the years, and how being a part of the society has influenced their careers. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us. Good to be here. Yeah, this is a a special webinar session for me. Anytime I get to do anything with my good friend, Anthony, it's a special time, but to do something with Anthony about the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society, now that's a big deal and I'm excited about it. To start us off, um, Drs. Chang and Jacobs, please tell us where you are now, what are you doing currently, and um, we'll have Anthony go first. I am um, still a practicing pediatric cardiologist and um, have a special clinic for heart failure. Um, still around in the cardiac ICU occasionally and um, stepped down from being the um, director of the Heart Institute here at Children's Hospital Orange County about five years ago and taken on the role of um, the chief intelligence and innovation officer here um, at Children's Hospital Orange County. And Jeff, you wanna go? Absolutely. So uh, I'm at the University of Florida in Gainesville, where I'm a professor of surgery and pediatrics. I've been here for a year and a half. Uh, I'm a practicing pediatric cardiac surgeon here. I'm involved in the operating room and the transplant program in the ICU. And uh, I spend a lot of time helping train residents, fellows, and medical students, which is quite enjoyable. And for me, uh, after spending 21 years at All Children's Hospital, the last several years where I was the chief of the cardiac surgical program and director of the Heart Institute. It's really special to have the chance to be at a university where I have the opportunity to teach a lot of new, young, and up-and-coming surgeons and intensivists and cardiologists, and and then a variety of other medical students interested in um, other forms of medicine as well. So University of, Miami, university of uh, Florida is a special place. It's great to be here. Well, thank you again to both of you. It's really an honor to have you joining us here on this uh, 25th anniversary of the Society podcast. Um, So my first question is, uh, obviously this didn't just pop out of nowhere. I'd really like to get kind of a behind the scenes into what was the seed that was planted that created the Society as an idea in your minds? I think I should let Anthony talk about that first because Anthony (laughs) is really the founder and innovator of all this and I was more of a witness uh, (laughs) in the very beginning. So Anthony can tell the story, and then I'll um, be able to vouch for the credibility of the story that he tells. He's far more than a witness. He was a huge supporter. Um, well, I um, after I left Boston Children's Hospital, I realized that um, we had the beginning of something, but it was kind of nebulous and kind of not well organized in terms of people that were interested in this area. And back then, you could probably name, believe it or not, only about five to 10 people that really did this full time, being in a cardiac ICU. But we all kind of uh, knew of each other, but had never met. And I just thought, well, I just um, was finishing a book project, the book on pediatric cardiac intensive care that Jeff helped me a great deal with. And 
felt like there was enough esprit de corps that maybe people would be willing to come together for a meeting. And Jeff and I had just started at Miami Children's Hospital for the pediatric heart program there. And I thought, well, uh, this will get us on the map. And also, uh, more importantly, really um, convene the sort of people in this field, even though I know people were um, had, had not convened before and met each other before, because there was really no home, you know, for people like us. <laughs> we were, so I was essentially sort of gathering the, the, as they say, the purple unicorns, you know, the people who were who are doing this, but there was no home uh, organization or meeting to go to. A few of us would go to cardiology meetings and ICU meetings, but um, we really didn't belong to, to any any place or any organization. And I thought, well, you know, we, we have a good future as a, as a domain. And I felt like we really deserve uh, to be in the driver's seat instead of always kowtowing to other organizations or societies. And um, I know when I first started out, and I think Jeff was there at the very beginning, the inception yeah. of this concept of having a big meeting and then having uh, as part of the meeting a, a an attempt to try and to convene the directors of these units uh, on the Saturday after the meeting. So we started the meeting and to my pleasant surprise, um, we were getting registrations very heavily ever since uh, we publicized the meeting because it was the first of its kind. And um, we had to, because I had only about uh, 400 for seating capacity at the Ritz-Carlton and Palm Beach, uh, we had to close the meeting in terms of registration uh, about two or three months before the meeting, which is almost unheard of. Um, and um, this is especially comical because at least two of the speakers said they would come, but they were saying that there would be more speakers than attendees because they just weren't thinking people would come to such a, such a specific topic, you know, meeting like cardiac intensive care. Yeah, you know, it was a really exciting time because this was a specialty that 10 years earlier didn't exist at all. And like Anthony said, at that time, there was only a handful of people who made their career doing it. And Anthony had authored this book, and and we were a new program at Miami Children's Hospital with a bunch of new faculty. I had just left Great Ormond Street from training and joined Anthony. And there was this energy of, number one, creating a large meeting and having people from hopefully all over the country come to South Florida. Um, and this was, it was kind of, it was, yeah, it was this week, 25 years ago, October 3rd through 5th, 1996. We were going to say, come down, be in nice weather, and learn about cardiac critical care. And um, for me, I learned a lot from that process. I, I learned from Anthony um, during those first few meetings how to organize and plan a multidisciplinary meeting, which is a skill that's really had a big impact on my whole career uh, with organizing a lot of other meetings. And this was the first one and all these people came together for the first time, the energy was palpable. Um, and the, the, the meeting was almost a 24-hour event between <laughs> science and academic activity <laughs> and social programs in the evenings. It, it really was a, a very high energy level with world-class science and a lot of fun. And some of the major leaders in the field, and not, not only these, uh, as Anthony said, unicorn cardiac intensivists, 
but some of the biggest named surgeons in the country came and some of the biggest named cardiologists as well. And at that first meeting, Aldo Castaneda was there, Vaughn Starnes, Frank Hanley. And uh, for me, it was pretty exciting to just be <laughs> in the same room with them. I, I, I can remember Anthony had me moderating a session. Here I am four months out of training and you know, the moderators of the session is Aldo Castaneda, Frank Hanley, Vaughn Starnes and me. And I remember, I remember sitting up there and thinking, you know, I thought of the Sesame Street song. One of these things is not like the other. One of these things is not the same. And I was saying, what am I doing up here? Yeah. And, and um, it was a great thing because it was a chance for young up and coming faculty to interact with world leaders. And I give Anthony a huge amount of credit for being able to put that together in a friendly, happy environment. Yeah, I um, really I'm, I'm so glad this meeting carried on the DNA of not just having uh, a superior learning experience that's unique, but also uh, build friendships and have fun at night, you know, instead of, and Miami's so well built for that and kind of glad that meeting stayed in Miami. I kind of insisted that from the very beginning because there was a lot of discussion about moving that meeting around and have it be in December, but move it to, to other places around the country. And I just felt like the magic of the meeting was, you know, from the very beginning was that it was such a, a nice place to relax and, you know, we, we didn't or I didn't tolerate anyone that's trying to one up anyone at the meeting because I didn't want it to be like another American Heart, you know, association meeting or ACC where people are. There's a lot of gamesmanship and they're just not, you know, tell me about your failures or where you goofed. And, you know, that kind of um, sentiment was really important to me that you, you didn't bring your hubris to the meeting. Uh, you can you can have it at other meetings, but not at my meeting. <laughs> So I, I think it's amazing too that this meet this first meeting ended 25 years and uh, six days ago. That yeah. was the last day of this, and, and I, I mean, other than the fact that that makes me feel very very old, uh, <laughs> it, it also makes me feel very very nostalgic. I mean, it was. I mean, my gosh, how could I, I say how could that be 25 years ago? But yeah. there it was. And and you're right. I was also very glad that it stayed in in South Florida and stayed in Miami. And the Breakers was a great location, and 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 the Lowe's is a great location. It um, creates an opportunity for social interactions with faculty from all over the world. Which I, I mean, to be honest, that's half the ball game. You, you learn a lot from these people, but you also learn who they are, so they become your friends. And then when you have a difficult patient or a challenging career decision to make, you call up your friends that you might have had dinner with on South Beach because they're your friends. And they're your friends forever. I um I expected like maybe two or three hundred people, um, but I didn't expect closing out the meeting two or three months before the meeting because we were already you know, surpassing four hundred. We ended up having um, to promise people that couldn't get into the meeting uh, that they would be first to register for the following year because I had to come up with <laughs> with something to uh, appease people that were sometimes emotionally very upset on the phone with me <laughs> about not being able to register. Uh, it's sort of like this bro hit Broadway show that you want to get into. And, you know, these are people that are used to getting their way, right? So cardiologists, cardiac surgeons, and leaders in the field, and some very famous people called me to get in. They weren't invited as speakers, but they want to come to the meeting. So it was very awkward for me to say no. And I had to say that, um, you know, you'll be, we'll have a meeting that's even better than this year. Next year, I already locked in on the dates and the location of the hotel, and we had over 200 people on that waiting list. So in other words, we could have, if we had a room, if we had a hotel big enough, we could have had six or 700 the first year.
Um, and you got to think about the era too. So people are coming to this meeting with their slide carousels, right? I mean, PowerPoint was kind of a newish thing. Uh, you, you know, to get your laptop to talk to the projector, yeah. uh, and most of the people had carousels with slides. That was the only year that I allowed that. The following year, I said, if you have a carousel, we won't be able to do anything. Yeah, I, I remember that. And, and it was a shocker because the, the second meeting. We had people that said they were not going to come and give yeah. a talk. Carousels were banned that second year, and everybody had to use PowerPoint. I think I might have been the first in, at this meeting anyway to, to sh embed movies into my slides. And I, I think Jeff may have even helped me with that. And I remember when I played it, there was this collective ooh from the audience. Like, I mean, you would totally laugh, but it was like the first time anyone had seen a movie inside a inside yeah. a it, All that stuff was just so new. In terms of the people registering for the meeting, I remember um, there were a couple of funny stories. First of all, I had heard, I was hearing from friends I had not heard from like since medical school or residency, and these people were. They they knew me, so they would call me trying to trying to trying to get a ticket basically to come in. So it was quite comical. That was it was like very nostalgic for me because I was hearing hearing from people from all stages of my training that couldn't get into the meeting otherwise. And then uh, there was this one surgeon from the UK. I, I wish I remember who it was, but I can't. Um, called me and said, um, uh, my secretary said, you know, there's a um, there's a doctor on the phone from England and he's insisting on talking to you. So I said, sure. I got on the phone and he's like, are you Anthony Chang? I said, yes. Are you the chair of this meeting? Yes. Um, I just want you to know that I'm at Heathrow airport and I bought a ticket to come to Miami and I don't care if you're close to registration, I'm coming to, to Miami to go to your meeting. <laughs> and I said, are you technically like crashing my meeting? <laughs> so I said, what do you mean? I said, I have no more seats. I said, I don't care. And he said, I don't care. I have to stand for three days. I'm coming to a meeting. And then he told me this sob story about how he started a unit and no one knows what the hell they're doing. And he has to get like, essentially, he wants to take the meeting, um, you know, uh, materials, go home and teach it to his team. And because, you know, kids are dying left and right. <laughs> Very, it was a lot of melodrama. I thought, um, I said, all right, all right, you can come to meeting. But I I said, I'll even buy you a drink. And for the life of me, I can't remember who it was, but he would do you remember do you remember who it was? And probably not. But it was just it was just I wanna I wanna think it was Martin Elliott, but the, I see what GOS at that time was pretty good. Because Alan Goldman yeah. there was there and Duncan McRae. Yeah, he was he was essentially crashing my meeting. So um but that was the the sense of sort of um this is something special. Uh this is something that a special domain that people need to get get more knowledge from and get better at because kids with heart disease and heart surgery is a big deal and the sophistication of surgery gotten to the point where a lot was riding on the perioperative care now you know it's like the surgeons had their you know this is the era of switches now being done more routinely without any complications and and um i'd done my training with bill norwood so the there were increasing number of centers, still a relatively not a small number, but more and more centers were, uh, you know, hailing success at around 50% or more for uh, stage one. So now perioperative care is sort of all eyes are on the perioperative care because, you know, the surgery was coming along pretty exponentially, uh, getting better and better. So, uh, and but the, the sense of desperation to be at this meeting was kind of, 
you know, um, comical to me that all of a sudden, you know, there's this meeting and people knew that they had to be at this meeting because so many um, people were interested in sharing what they know. And remember, the textbook had just come out. So there wasn't any resource at the time. And now, you know, you can search for everything. But back then, remember, there was no no way you can search for information or and no way to get wisdom from people that have done this for a few years or a decade. So there was this sense of desperation for information and, and kind of know-how. And, and I remember one moment when Aldo Castaneda um, was at the session and I had down like post-coarct, perioperative care for coarctation. And then he came up to me in the front row and he said, Anthony, I, I, know, I think you know what you're doing, but is taking care of a baby with coarctation a little too, too, too basic for these people? And I said, Believe it or not, there's a lot of controversy because I was I was pushing Esmolol and Labetalol and Labe, I, mean, I was pushing Labetalol, but people were arguing about nitride versus beta blockade, and you know, so I ended up having we had a great session on post cohort you know, uh, hypertension control. But but he was genuinely concerned that we were, you know, talking about something that was way too basic because you remember he's from a center where, you know, things were pretty advanced and and you know people had come to a consensus about how to treat these babies but in most most of the centers that i was aware of you know there was still, still a lot of controversy about what to do you know and very few people were you know pushing the bail back then and it'll be interesting to see what people are doing now but, but everyone was all the surgeons were pushing nipride and i just nipride made no sense to me you know so um so anyway so that was uh interesting that people um especially people like ask you know dr castaneda was so concerned that we were talking about the things that were too basic, but you know, um, basic things generate a lot of controversy. I learned in cardiac intensive care, right? Absolutely. So when you were at this meeting that was wildly successful, you had to stop and realize that you really had tapped into some, a, a great need and something special. Yeah. So at that first meeting, were you thinking, okay, maybe we have a society now and yeah. What is going to be the future? What, what were your thoughts? Were you a little bit blown away or were you sitting down planning the, the future? I think the latter. I, I felt like, okay, I knew the Esprit de Corps was special and was there. Um, and since everyone was there, I said, why don't we just conveniently sit down after the meeting? I, I you know, uh, had actually started planning this even before people arrived for the meeting and just say, can you stay like until Sunday? I asked like about 20 people if they could stay until Sunday. And they all said, yes, you know, yeah. My, Miami's not hard to decide to stay an extra night, you know? And I, I really felt like um, that we had something special and, and that people wanted to, and people knew, I think people all kind of had that feeling like this could be big, you know? This is not just a dozen or two dozen directors, you know, talking about, you know, uh, what we do in our units. This is gonna be big. And I think everyone felt that and sensed that, and that's why people decided to stay. And we had, you know, a couple of my mentors there, um, Peter Holbrook and Ross Raffley from Philadelphia. And Peter, he he was an f- interesting mentor for me because I was trying to decide between doing uh, ICU or cardiology. And, and, and I said, basically, because I feel like when I rounded with him, that the cardiologists would come by and say a bunch of things, and the surgeons would come by and demand certain things. And then 
intensive was we'll kind of mop up after people and do whatever they wanted also. And I said, wouldn't it be nice if there's like a captain of the ship <laughs> that everyone respected and that would trust the patient care to? And he said, well, why don't you think about doing that? You know, so that's how I kind of started becoming interested in doing um, cardiac intensive care. And then he came and gave a talk and he said, well, I knew I gave Anthony a good recommendation to, to focus in this area, but I had no idea it was going to be this big, like the whole world, basically. Uh, we had like 25 countries represented even at this first meeting. So I, I was actually surprised more at the international contingent more than um, more than the national, because I, I knew there was enough U.S. interest, but I didn't think that you know, people came from Russia, I remember, and I mean, it was just incredible, the international level interest. And so you could have like uh, a, Sweden, a Swedish, you know, pediatric cardiac anesthesiologist talking to, you know, a cardiology fellow from, you know, from UCLA, you know, just th these amazing connections. But everyone had one passion in common, which is take care of sick kids with heart disease. And I just felt like that was amazing. That was so international from the get-go. And it was like 30% were international, I remember the first time. It was just blew my mind how far people flew in to, to, to this meeting in Miami. Um, and um, and the, the, the uh, trouble people took to, to come to the meeting was um, very inspiring for me, you know, very inspiring. Like I had to do a good job because people are coming from all over. What you said about creation of a team to round together and work together in the ICU, which is something we all take for granted now. Yeah. It was not uniform at that time. No, no. The best, the best story I can tell, and I have pictures of this, is so I spent two years at Miami Children's with Redmond Burke and Evan Zahn and Anthony Chang. So it was Evan, Anthony, uh, Redmond, me. That was the four of us there together. Um, and a few other people were there, like Abdul Aldasani. Uh, after I left there, I, I went to All Children's where I spent 21 years, and we had Anthony come up as a visiting professor about a year after I got to All Children's Hospital. And at that time in my first year, uh, the hospital had a private practice cardiac surgery group that I was in, a private practice pediatric cardiology group uh, that was um, led by a cardiologist named George Giroux and a private practice ICU group that um, was headed by uh, an intensive care doctor named Al Saltiel, who actually, as a side note, hired Dave Cooper at a training about six or seven years later. And the way we worked then was that the surgeons would come in knowing that our first case started at 7 a.m. And we would round the ICU and see all the ICU patients and write our notes in the paper charts, looking at the paper flow sheets, kind of between 6 and 7 a.m. And by 7 a.m. we'd be in the operating room. And then sometime between 8 and 9, the intensivists would all come through and they were covering both the general pediatric ICU and the cardiac ICU. Uh, and then later in the afternoon or early midday kind of cardiologists would come in and each group would come in, see the patients and write a note. And you'd have this paper chart with a note from the surgeons, a note from the intensivists, a note from the cardiologist. And the way the three teams would communicate with each other was with these handwritten notes. And Anthony came in and he was our visiting professor. And he says, I want you to get everybody to meet at 7 a.m. in front of the first bed, cardiologists, surgeons, and intensive care doctors. And we've got pictures. It was the first time in the history of our program at All Children's Hospital that we had multidisciplinary rounds. And there was Anthony, and there was the ICU team, and the surgical team, and the cardiology team. And we walked together from bed to bed to bed, seeing all the patients. And then the surgeons went to the OR, and the cardiologists went to their clinic, and the 
and, and intensivist stayed in the ICU and did their thing. But that it's something we take so much for granted. But I've got a picture of the first time we ever made multidisciplinary rounds. And we did it at our place because Anthony came up as a visiting professor and he said, we're going to make multidisciplinary rounds. And we liked it so much that we did it every single day after that. Actually, that's not exactly true. We liked it so much that for a year we did it on Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. We weren't going to do it every day because our routine was so good. So we did it Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and on Tuesday, Thursday, and on the weekends, we did our usual thing on our own. And then eventually we realized this is the way to do it. And after another year or so, we were doing it every single day. And that concept of creating a multidisciplinary team to take care of critically ill children, while it was you know, the way they do it at Great Ormond Street and Boston Children's Hospital at that point in time was not the way they did it at most places. And that was a big deal to introduce that, both in practice at the hospitals, but also academically through the book and through the meetings that Anthony organized. I, I think Anthony gets a lot of credit for that. And, and you know, people always say, well, Anthony was involved with the development of milrinone and he was involved in the post-operative management of neonates for this problem or that problem. I, I think the biggest concept was popularizing the idea of a multidisciplinary team to care for critically ill children. And that's something that was um, uncommon. And Anthony led the charge to popularize that. That's a big deal. And and also involving neonatologists, which was sort of the um, another dimension that happened after that. So I I feel like we all, you know, there we speak four different languages, and it's just nice that that we have uh, a few people that can speak all three or four languages. And and I, I like being that person where I can converse, you know, in all the languages. But that involves you know, um, an innate understanding of surgery more than anyone. And um, I think Bill Norwood, who recently passed, did me a huge favor. And he said, listen, you're going to be in the cardiac ICU business. You need to be my surgical fellow. And I said, I don't have any surgical training. He goes, doesn't matter. It's the mentality. And I owe that to him in terms of being so aggressive as a sort of a cardiology fellow, but with a surgical mindset. That yes, if the surgical fellow is tied up in the operating room at three o'clock in the morning, I'm going to be the guy that's going to crack the kid's chest and without hesitation. And um, and even when I went to Boston, people thought that was odd that I would do cut downs. <laughs> I would do. Gil especially teased me about, um, you know, it's like, oh, Anthony has to has to have his loops because he's going to be doing because they they has a surplus of surgical fellows. <laughs> And here's Anthony with his loops from Philadelphia, you know. So and then and then um, when um, Al, one of Aldo, this is he'll still remember this funny story. When Aldo had one of his canals arrest, I still remember Bed Space Seven, and it wasn't obvious why the kid arrested, just like out of you know one of those lightning bolt arrests, and a surgical fellow was nowhere to be found. And I said, you know what? Uh, get Betadine. I'm, I'm not going to open the chest. I don't know what's going on with this kid. So I was. Getting bait on over the chest, gowned up, and you know, cut the sternal wires and open. And what it was, it was a. This is a great case. It was a. It was a chest tube overlying the coronary. That's why the kid arrested. It was obvious to me as soon as I opened up. And then heart came back when the chest when the chest tube was moved from the coronary. And then, and then I remember Gil showed up, and because um, when there's an arrest, some people eventually will all show up. And then he had behind his mask, he said. You know, Anthony, I don't know where you, I know Philadelphia, I don't know Philadelphia very well, but 
in Boston, we're civilized. We can invite surgical fellows to do these things. You know, <laughs> he just felt like, who's this guy from CHOP? Just like pretending he's a surgeon when he's a cardiologist, you know? And I said, well, you know, Bill Nor would expect us to do this. And You know, I think we were both very lucky to have um, mentors that stressed the importance of developing multidisciplinary skills. And clearly, you know, Bill Norwood got you in the ICU, not purely as an intensivist, but as an extension of the surgical team as well. He totally would. He would have me on call, take surgical call by myself without a surgical fellow sometimes. Yeah. He, and that, he, had a, he had a knack for firing surgical fellows. So I'm like the B team. And I sometimes will have to take call as a surgical fellow. And he said that was really the best thing he could do for me. And he was so right. He was so right on that. And no one would say that. No, sir. Well, you know, so at Great Ormond Street, we had three consultants or attending surgeons when I was there as a senior registrar, which was Yada Stark, Mark DeLaval, and Martin Elliott. And there was four senior registrars. So one of us was assigned to each of the consultants. So you spent three months with DeLaval, three months with Elliott, three months with Stark. And then your fourth three months, you were assigned to the ICU team where you work with Duncan McRae. And the year I was there, Alan Goldman was a senior registrar along with me. He was an ICU senior registrar and I was a surgical senior registrar. But 75% of the time you were there, you were with the surgeons, but you had a three-month rotation where you worked in the ICU as a senior registrar in critical care. And it was the same emphasis on a surgeon had to know how to function in the ICU. Um, this And the ICU trainees had to know how to do exactly what you described and become an extension of the surgeons. And that multidisciplinary training, uh, that also was not uniform at that time. Yeah, I think I think Bill Noah had a lot to do with my comfort level in the ICU at, from a surgical side. And he totally insisted that I that I spent a lot of time with him, which I really, really enjoyed, <laughs> as opposed to he's not with us anymore, so I can uh, be even more honest. But he was not the favorite amongst the surgical fellows, but he was just, I mean, I idolized the man because not only because he was such a fabulous surgeon, but the way he treated me was like a surgical fellow. And he also taught me um, something I'm involved in now, which is complex math and finding signals and noise. And he was 30 years ahead of his time in terms of looking at leveraging, you know, um, sort of AI for for um, signals. So uh, but but I think his major contribution to my career development was convincing that I can sort of become a surgeon. So, you know, the key, the popular word now is transdisciplinary and not rather than multi or interdisciplinary. And transdisciplinary implies that you actually have spent time or know about the other disciplines very well. And he was definitely the the uh, the grandfather of that concept that you you morph into other things because it's so important for you to do your job well. And I owe him that for sure. I wasn't even taught that in, in Boston, you know, but we're so super specialized that you have everyone doing different things. And um, he, he basically said, you, you're going to have to do it all. When you're on call in the cardiac ICU, you, you're a surgeon, you're a cardiologist, you're an intensivist. And uh, he was so right on that so many decades later and way ahead of his time in terms of thinking about this. So, um, no, so I, I owe a great deal to him. But, you know, having said that, I, I think um, the whole cardiac ICU in a society really, really um, uh, was such a special thing for me looking back on my career. And 
uh, first of all, it was the first time I organized a society and a meeting and a book. And it just gave me um, so much confidence because I, I think I've launched or helped to launch seven societies after that. And they're all in run and still in the running. And I think it just gave me the confidence that I needed to do other things. So I owe a lot to PCICS and everyone that's come before and after it because because of its success, I always point point that out to other societies, the burgeoning societies, and say, listen, look at PCICS. We can do this. And and start so societies around the world, and they all look at PCICS as sort of a role model in terms of, you know, it's not just people coming together for an annual meeting, which is which is great, but it's about validating a field. Wow. Thank you, Dr. Chang and Dr. Jacobs, both so much for sharing your vision and memories of the beginnings of PCICS. I'm really looking forward to talking with you both again for part two of the Anniversary Founders podcast. To all of our listeners, thank you for listening to the PCICS podcast. Please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please visit our website, PCICS.org, where you can find more information about how to become a member and enjoy updated info on educational resources, meetings, job listings, and much more.